hard to, uh, it's one thing to say that we love somebody, but never to put out any effort to get together with them. And so I get, I, I get, I love Christ. Secondly, I wrote down, I gather with Christ's body to hear Christ speak to me through his word. Um, now, Christ can speak to us by his Holy Spirit and through his word even when I'm at home, right? Uh, or when you're at home, he can do that. He can speak through a sermon that's preached and you listen, we listen to it on a podcast, something like that. But there is something special about gathering together with the body of Christ and then the spirit of Christ moving amongst his body, his members, and uh, he speaks to us. And that's the second reason I wrote down. The third reason I wrote down why I gather with Christ's body is because I love him. I love him. I want to I wanna be with him. I want to learn from him. I want him to teach me. And then the fourth reason I wrote down and the last one was I, wrote, I gather with Christ. I come to church because I want to obey him. I want to obey him. He tells us not to forsake gathering. And so when we don't forsake gathering, when we gather, we're actually obeying what he's told us to do. So I come because I want to obey him, and I want to be more like him. James talks about the the washing of water by the word. The word of God, when it is preached and it's taught, it washes over us. And there's a cleansing that takes place, and there's a refreshing that takes place takes place. And I want to be more and more like him. I want him, I want Jesus to be seen more and more through my life. And that's what I want for you all as well. I want Jesus Christ to be seen through you. You know, we have some young mothers in the congregation tonight. I want, I want your children, when they look at you, I want them to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ when they look into your eyeballs. Uh, and when uh, they look into our eyes and they watch our our character, who we are when we're not with the church uh, as men, as fathers. I want our children to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ, his character. And, uh, and I want that for, for each of us. So those are some reasons. But I thought it was an excellent question that Brother Lane posed. Uh, do you gather for the right reasons? Do you, do you come together for the right reasons? And you know, by the way, if we are becoming more and more like him, and we're allowing him, we're saying no to our flesh, and we're saying yes to his spirit, um, we're going to have a burden for souls um, because he does. And we're going to love them. Um, n- not, not necessarily agree with their politics, not necessarily agree with their lifestyle, but we're going to love them because God loves people. And he sent his son into the world to die to save people. And uh, that included us, and I'm so thankful for that. You're in Matthew chapter 28. Look with me at our text, verses 19 and 20. Uh, I'm not preaching through even all of these two verses, but I'll read them together, and then we'll look at just the first statement in verse number 20. He says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And the word amen there is part of what Jesus said, and it means, may it be so, so be it. May it be so is what it means. Look again at verse number 20, the beginning part, and this is the part we're looking at. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us here tonight as we look at your word. 
we have a handout in front of us. We have PowerPoint. But Lord, truly, if your Holy Spirit doesn't teach us and open our eyes, then all of these other things are just empty tools. Um, so, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I do, I do pray that we would be more like Christ. And even more than that, Lord, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be able to live, he'd be able to have his own way in our lives. That he'd be able to accomplish his will through us, wherever he has us. So, Father, I pray that that would be supreme in our lives, that we'd be surrendered and submitted to one person that we can trust every day of the week, no matter what, and who never has let us 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 so much he was willing to give his life for us. Help us to trust him and to yield ourselves to him. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look at your handout. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to start there at the beginning. Uh, You see there, there's a definition that's given in the beginning of your handout uh, by Jim Berg. I think it's it's a very wise statement he makes here, and I want you to look at it. I want you to be considering this. He says, without a passion to disciple believers to Christ-likeness through the ministries of the church, the church will focus merely on perpetuating its programs, and the sheep will grow sickly and unfruitful. And I don't know if I mentioned to it, it to you or not last week, but I can remember being in churches. Uh, some were larger than Trinity. Uh, some had a lot of structure and a lot of programs, but they were dying. They were dying. And uh, I can remember at other times years ago, I remember a couple of churches in particular out in the Baltimore, Maryland area of the country, big, beautiful, or what would have been beautiful buildings at one time, big, beautiful red brick buildings, big white pillars out front, and you could see where they had the, the, one of the original auditoriums were at, and then it, the church had grown substantially, and they had built another auditorium, and uh, that would seat eight, 900 people, and um, the church had grown, but then had suffered, in, in a sense, a death, and now they were meeting back in the original auditorium, and they couldn't afford to maintain the building in the all the brick mold was peeling, and the big white columns were peeling, and the parking lot was not maintained, and uh, the church was dying. I can remember another particular church not far from that one, and it too was a hu- it was a huge auditorium, um, three or four times, maybe more than that, the size of this auditorium, and they had actually taken the pulpit off of this huge platform, and they had set the pulpit down in front of one of the wings of pews, and we were only there on a Wednesday night, but there were about 10 of us there that night, including my wife and I, and uh, there were saplings that were large by that point that were growing up in the middle of the parking lot, just randomly throughout the parking lot, and what had been a, I would imagine, I imagine a vibrant ministry with lots of people, hundreds of people coming programs galore, the church had died. The church had died. And as I mentioned to you last week, programs come and go, and programs are what, we're not against them because programs can be organized ministry, 
Okay, I'm, I'm all for organization. That's a good thing. Organization's a good thing. Some of you are organizers. Some of you are not. You can't organize your way off of your desk, you know, or out of your car. You can't organize your way out of your car. But some of us here are organizers, and I'm not the greatest organizer, but I'm all for organization. But organization and programs only go so far, and they can never replace the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of a congregation, in the midst of a church. You agree with that? Okay, you're awfully quiet. Yeah. It's good to think about, though, because sometimes there are things that you and I can do, and we put a lot of stock in what we can do. We can make something happen. Or maybe we say it this way, we can do something great for God. And I've told you before, we don't do great things for God. God does great things through us. Whenever we get that mixed around, we're, we're on sinking sand, okay? Very, very important. So, I love his statement there. Without a passion to disciple believers to Christ-likeness through the ministries of the church, the church will focus merely on perpetuating its programs. Hey, we just got to get more volunteers, just got to get more people involved. Hey, we've got to save this program. And what happens is the sheep will, will, grow, sick, will, will grow sickly and unfruitful. Uh, let me run through this just real quick. Some of you weren't here last week. We looked at number one and some examples of discipleship. Letter A, B, and C are worth repeating. Jesus taught 11 men who taught men and women from all nations. We're not going to go back and look at these passages again. Letter B, Jesus taught Paul and Barnabas, another example of discipleship. Jesus taught Paul and Barnabas who taught many. Letter C, Jesus taught Paul who taught Timothy who was instructed to teach faithful men who would teach others also. And I ask the question, are you a faithful man? Are you a faithful woman? What kind of a person did Paul tell Timothy to invest his life into? Somebody he had a lot in common with? Somebody who he just liked being around? Somebody who was funny? Someone who was wealthy? No. Faithful man. Faithful man. And a man who's full of faith. Who's growing in faith who can be counted on, who's trustworthy with the Word of God, who's receiving it. It's impossible to be a faithful man. A man's not a faithful man who doesn't receive the truth of the Word of God. It's very important. Um, So we looked at these things. Number two, discipleship involves teaching. Discipleship involves teaching. We saw that in number two. And that was the first word we focused on. You see it in verse number 20 of our text, he says, teaching them. Verse number 19 is about evangelism, going, and how important that is. Teaching all nations. We even see teaching there too. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But now what do you do with people who are saved? Well, you know what? They ought to know. They ought to know what to do, and they ought to, they're on their own. Get out there and do something for God. That's not what he says. He says, people who are saved, and that's a broad brush I just painted with. People who are saved need to be taught. People who are saved need to be taught. Does there there ever come a point in a believer's life when we don't need to be taught anymore? No. No. You mean, mean, Seth, I'm not going to arrive? Seth, you've arrived. You think that? Come on, you can do better than that. Do I have I arrived? All right, some of you are just kind. No, I haven't arrived. All right, I haven't arrived. 
I ought to be learning. I ought to be learning. I ought to be being taught. And that's what he's talking about here in verse number 20, teaching. So letter A, disciples that have been taught are supposed to be teaching. I won't take a whole lot of time with this, but you may not be gifted as a teacher. You may not be a Sunday school teacher. But you have grandchildren. You can teach them. You can teach them. You ought to be teaching them. Husbands, you ought to be teaching your wives at home the Word of God. Do you know that? That's a Bible truth, what I just said. The Bible says that the wives are supposed to learn from their husbands at home. Husbands, are you teaching? Are you studying? Truth, truth is, for some of us as husbands, our wives are smarter than us. Some of us as husbands, our wives know more of the Word of God than us. They retain it better than us, maybe. They can articulate it better than us, perhaps. But you know what, husband? You know, whether you're gifted to teach or not, whether you have a lot more scripture knowledge of her or not, does not limit you from teaching her by being an example to her of following Christ, of being humble, of being obedient to the Word of God. You and I could teach. We ought to be able to teach our wives that way. And there are others, too. Letter B, under number two, a disciple learns by receiving verbal instruction and observing the life of his teacher. And uh, we talked about that. Letter C, distractions. We looked at some distractions that keep us from making disciples. And I think of most vividly of a, of a father with his children when I think about these distractions. Because I can tell my, my, my sons and my daughters, and I can tell them, hey, you need to follow Jesus. And we're going to see this. is going to develop as we get to the end of the, the message tonight. I can tell my children, you need to follow Jesus. But if I don't follow Jesus, and I'm not a disciple of Jesus... I can almost assure you they're not going to be either. So it matters more of how I live my life and what I actually do than what I, act, than what I say. It matters more what I do and how I live my life than even what I say. Very, very important. Number three, discipleship involves teaching them. Teaching them. Now, we've just really looked at a couple of words so far. Teaching them. Number three, discipleship involves teaching them. The Bible calls members of the church disciples. The Bible calls members of church disciples. I think I gave you these last week, so we'll not go ahead and look up these passages again. But again, sometimes when we think of the Great Commission, as we ought, we think of evangelism, and we should. This is not to the neglect of that, okay? We think of evangelism, but sometimes we don't think about discipleship. We don't think about discipleship. It's almost like it doesn't exist. And I made the point last week of look around you. Remember I made that point? Look around. Um, we, think, we, we, we read missionary letters and think, wow, that's awesome. What, what God is doing over there, that's incredible. And often it is. And we ought to rejoice with them. But sometimes we look around. <sighs> you know what? I think I, I think I used to be there at times in my life. You know, discontent with what God had blessed me with, coveting after what God hadn't blessed me with. And the Lord's helped me to be able to look around and see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. 
And, I, and, and you know what? We're not, we're not in step with the Lord Jesus Christ if we aren't able to look around at a church assembly like this even tonight. And there's a few open seats. But if we can't look around and rejoice in our hearts that God is saving people, has saved people in the past, and that people are growing, and the Holy Spirit of God is not leaving, but he is consoling and encouraging and purifying and protecting, then we are, have, a, have a gross misunderstanding of what God's commission is all about. We really do. We ought to be able to look around and say, praise God. I hope when you come in on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning or come into Sunday school and you sit down with God's people, part of the body of Christ, you can look around and you can rejoice at what God has done. We ought to be able to do that. We ought to be able to do that. There ought to be something percolating in you right now. I hope there is. I hope there is. I hope there is. All right, I've said that three times. Letter B. Letter B. God expects pastors to be disciples. And uh, we, we looked at that, both learning and teaching. So pastors, it's not just a matter of pastors who teach other people or teachers who teach other people, but I'm supposed to be someone who's being taught. And uh, we looked at that. Letter C, the them are those people that Christ has commissioned us to teach. And who are the them? They're the people who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, or the people who are saved. What, do we bear any kind of a responsibility to those people who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Do we bear any kind of responsibility for them, or should we just... Um, should we just lead them to the Lord and then leave them? Do we bear any responsibility to, to one another, to people who are born again? And the answer is yes. Christ has commissioned us to teach. We're to disciple them. And I'm going to read this part again to you in verse, uh, under, under letter, letter C. It says, disciple them where they are. And we could say that about parenting. Parent your children where they're at. When people believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls, they don't have all the right disciplines. There's a lot they don't understand. They have a lot of questions. They lack wisdom. And they are often still reaping the consequences of their sin prior to salvation. So be patient with them. Suffer long with them. Counsel them. Encourage them. Instruct them. Teach them. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Because I can assure you of this, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Christ never gives up on those who belong to him. And you and I ought not give up on those who belong to God either. Now, uh, without getting into a lot of detail, there are times where if a believer says, you know what, if they stop following the word of God, they start acting like an unsaved person, and they will not repent, Christ says, give them over to, the, to Satan to, for the destruction of their flesh. There's, you step away. Don't be so arrogant to think you can intervene and do more than God can do. You give them over, and, and you follow the word of God and, and, and let God deal with that individual. But even then, God's not giving up on them, and neither are we. We're following what God says in his word to do. That's called faith. That's not giving up. All right, uh, number four, number four, and this is where we're at. Here this, here this evening. Number four, discipleship involves teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. So if we're supposed to be teaching, that's what discipleship involves. Number two, 
And number three, we're supposed to be teaching them, the people who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and who are saved, what are we supposed to be teaching them? And that's the question. And you see the answer at the beginning of verse uh, number 20 in Matthew 28. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Letter A, Christ taught and preached the word. Christ taught and preached the word. Jesus taught and preached the word. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And what pleases God? What, what pleases God? Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, I think it says, For without it is impossible to please him without faith. So, as those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to follow him and want to partner with him in accomplishing the Great Commission, I can tell you it is impossible to be a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Great Commission without discipleship. Discipleship is all about teaching the Word of God. And why should we teach the Word of God? Because it produces faith. God-pleasing faith. People hear the Word of God. They see the Word of God lived out. They hear it taught. And, it, and yeah, there are bumps along the way because people are people and the flesh is there and their people fall, right? A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. So there's this that goes on. But the Word of God it continues to be taught and faithfully spoken. And the Spirit of God takes His sword, which is the Word of God, now having been spoken to a person who has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he begins to convict them and begins to change their lives. And as I mentioned earlier about James, the washing of water by the word and, and up springs out of this person's heart faith, and it's God-pleasing faith. And now this man, who used to live in absolute disobedience to the word of God and the spirit of God and God himself, now begins to walk just baby steps by faith. It's kind of wobbly, just baby steps, and he begins to grow in the Word of God. He begins to grow in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is to the pleasure of God. And you and I can play a role in this process, and it's called speak the Word. Teach the Word. Speak the Word. Speak the Word to your grandchildren. Speak the Word to your children. Speak the Word to one another talk with one another. The Word of God ought to come up somewhere in our conversation with one another. There's a pastor that I know and love and on more than one occasion in my life, he's been a great encouragement to me and it's not because he preaches at me necessarily, though he has no problem telling me what he thinks is true. But what he encourages my heart so much about this particular pastor is when he speaks to me the Word of God comes up in the conversation just randomly along the way in the conversation. And you know what it's like sometimes? It's almost like God is speaking to me through my brother in Christ. And I go away strengthened and encouraged. And it's not him, that's the thing. It's not him at all. It's the word of God. And I walk away from a conversation like that and I'm strengthened in the Lord. And where I might have been a little wobbly, I'm strengthened to do what is, is right, and I'm encouraged to do what is right. And I want to tell you, church, 
you and I can do this for one another. We can encourage one another. You can text the Word of God to one another. You know that. You can Facebook it. You know, you can, you can speak it. It's good. Use the Word of God. So discipleship involves teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. Christ himself taught and preached the Word of God. I have a portion of Scripture down there in John chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, speaking of Nicodemus, he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. It's interesting that even the unsaved people knew a few things about Jesus. A couple things. One was that he was empowered by God. And two, that he was a teacher. He was a teacher. He was a teacher. He spoke. He spoke the truth of the word of God. In John chapter 7 and verse number 16, Jesus said this, speaking to some Pharisees. He said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. That's interesting. So when Jesus taught, you know what he taught? He taught his father's message. And you know what you and I are supposed to teach? When we, when we speak, we're supposed to teach our father's message. We're supposed to teach the word of God. We're supposed to teach the words of Christ. This is what we've been commissioned to teach. So according to John chapter 3 and verse 2, Jesus was a teacher that came from God. You're in Matthew 28. Look to Matthew chapter 5, would you? Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Verses 1 and 2. Once you get to Matthew 5, look up just a little prior to that. Chapter 4, look at verse 23. And this... I'll read this, and then we'll move along, because there are so many of these references like this. In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Now, you and I can't heal diseases like he did, but you and I can teach. We can speak the truth. Jesus did this. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up, into a mountain, when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And he, he goes on. Jesus was a teacher. He taught. Now, not everybody has the gift of teaching. I understand that. Not everybody. What I'm not preaching is everybody ought to come take a turn in the pulpit. Or everybody ought to teach a Sunday school class. I'm not saying that at all, though some of you do. Some of you might. You know what? You ought to cultivate that. You ought to be sensitive to that. And you know what? And you might not. You might think you might, and then you find out I don't. But, but if, I, if I determined whether or not I was going to preach and teach or not based upon how I felt every weekend, I wouldn't do it. You do understand that, don't you? There's a lot of work that goes into it. You've got to put yourself out there a little bit to be critiqued. Was it good or not good? Was it accurate or was it not accurate? How do you think he did today? I don't know. Multiply that by about two or 300 people. You want to do that every week? You know, I, I joke with Cindy, you know, school was never my thing. Studying, ugh, studying, researching, ugh. You know what I get to do every week? Research and study and give an oral report every week. But you know what? God's called me to it. He's gifted me for it. And you know what? I need to be a, a good steward of that gift. I need to work at it. Need to work at it. And there ought to be improvement. One of these days, it'll show up, some improvement. 
So, as we study the New Testament, we discover disciples of Jesus are supposed to be teachers. And that's letter B in your, in your handout. Disciples are supposed to be teachers. So, Jesus Christ has commissioned us to teach other people. Other people the truth that we have been taught. I'm going to read a passage to you from Deuteronomy. And, of course, this is Old Testament. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6... Um, God told the people of Israel to teach their children. And in verse number 7, he said, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children the commands of God, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. When you go to bed, you ought to talk to your children about the Lord. When you go to bed at night, and sometimes they're afraid, you ought to talk to them about the Lord. You don't need to be afraid. God's in control. God's in control. God is a good God. God loves you. Oh, he always does what is right. You see, you know what I'm talking to my children about? I'm talking to them about the attributes of God. I'm telling my children who God is. That's what I'm doing. I don't get out the Bible and say, okay, sit up, Will. I'm going to read the next five chapters of Ecclesiastes, and I want you to pick out the attributes of God as I read down through these next five chapters. I don't do that. What I'm doing is I'm just telling him what I've been taught about God. I tell them what I've been taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm doing, I'm teaching a a six-year-old boy. And uh, I don't talk the same way to Ian that I do to Will. I don't talk the same way to Cindy as I do to Ian. I don't talk the same way to you as I talk to Cindy, okay? But you know what? There's communication. There, There ought to be teaching. And what is it about? It's about making disciples. This is what Christ has commissioned us to do. This is part of the Great Commission. Wait a minute, Pastor Ferguson, we've never had a Sunday night service dedicated to honoring you and Will for being a part of the Great Commission when you put him to bed at night. No, no, we haven't done that. We probably won't do that. But you know, we, you and I need to see these some, what, what, some things we might consider to be small and insignificant as very important, okay? Very important Don't see them as small things. They're important things. So disciples are supposed to be teachers, letter B. Letter C, what are we supposed to teach? We're supposed to teach the whole counsel of God. We're supposed to teach the whole counsel of God. Now I want to, I'm going to speak to all of you here tonight, but we have some folks here tonight, and you, you, uh, you are disciplers, you have disciplees. I have, there are some of you here, you are Sunday school teachers. We have some who are, they, you teach small children. We have some here who teach, uh, teach adult classes. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this for just a moment. What, what are we supposed to teach? We're supposed to teach the whole counsel of God. Now, you, I want you to fill this out. It says there needs to be a teaching element to your preaching. Or your preaching is not biblical. It's very important. Some of us, we cut our teeth on what we called real preaching. You know, a lot of hot air, a lot of spit, stomping, pulpit pounding, pew running. Some of us haven't seen that here in the north. I remember Cindy and I were down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and a guy actually came down off the pulpit, walked on the backs of the pews while he was preaching. Now, I don't know what he was saying at that point in time. I don't think he knew what he was saying at that point in time, okay? But he was preaching. Now, I didn't give any names, so I can, I can 
weigh in a little bit further on this. Biblical preaching, or I should say the way, preaching is not biblical unless there's an element of teaching involved. Preaching is not just me up here, raising my voice, pounding on a pulpit, shouting and screaming, and entertaining the congregation. That's not Bible preaching. Bible preaching is not determined as Bible preaching or not based upon how many people say amen either. Well, if I get the crowd whipped up into a frenzy and they're laughing, they're with me, they're crying, they're shouting amen, is that Bible preaching? Not necessarily. I could be saying I like brown horses. Amen, brother? Okay? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but just because I'm standing behind a pulpit doesn't mean that I'm a Bible preacher. And just because you are teaching a class, small children or adults, does not make you a teacher of the Bible if we're just going through the motions. And I want this for Trinity Baptist Church. I want us to be teaching the whole counsel of God. And there are times where there are certain parts of the Bible that are harder to preach and teach than others. There are certain things that are easier to preach. They're easier to put together into an outline form. They're easier to deliver sometimes. But you know what? You and I need to teach the whole counsel of God. And by the way, different parts of the Bible, like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or the Gospels, you know that it's, it's more challenging for me personally to preach out of the Gospels than it is for me to preach out of the Epistles. Much harder for me. It takes a lot more work for me. Now, for somebody else's personality, maybe they say, oh, I just love being in the Gospels. It's narrative. It's... There's all these exciting things happening. But for me, it's harder. It's like pulling teeth sometimes, different parts of the Bible. I sit there in my desk and go, ah, it's hard. You know, so we can talk about some of those, other, those things other time, but teach the whole counsel of God. There needs to be a teaching element to your preaching or your preaching is not biblical. I once heard a person say they referred to a, a man who had taught or preached a message and the individual inferred that the man was boring and then, he, and then they said, but he's a teacher, not a preacher. And what they were inferring was, a preacher is exciting and entertaining to listen, to listen to, but a teacher is not. I don't know where they were getting their information, but it wasn't biblical thinking. Okay? Okay? You and I need to think biblically on this. Well, well, I would tell you more about God, but it's boring. Should I tell him? Not if he's tired. Not That isn't the moment to do it. There will be a moment to do it. But you know what? I need to be teaching William. I need to teach him my children. As a pastor, I have a responsibility. And not just as a pastor, you as teachers, and not just as teachers, but us as members of Christ's body have a responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God. It's a part of the Great Commission. And so you have a responsibility, and I have a responsibility to be learning these things be learning these things, even the things that are hard. I don't understand that. Well, some things, I don't know we can understand them, but there are a lot of things we can and we don't understand them because we're too lazy. That's why. Because we'd rather watch a YouTube video. We'd rather go hunting. We'd rather go golfing. We'd rather do anything else in the world than exercise our little gray cells. Okay? Okay, that, that's way too harsh for a Sunday night, right? All right, so teach the whole counsel of God. 
Um, for those of us who are pastors or teachers, don't get caught up in being a great speaker or an entertainer. Now, I'm not looking to have the most boring. Tell me about Trinity Baptist Church. Well, they got the most boring teachers in the state. But boy, are they accurate. Okay, we can be accurate and we can still be alive, all right? But, but as a teacher and a preacher, and you shouldn't want this for your teacher and pastors, you shouldn't want us to be more entertaining than we are biblical and truthful. And I want you to know something. I have to resist my flesh. You can help me to do right by resisting your flesh too. And the goal is not to be the most boring, to make it put you, everybody get a nap. If you go to Trinity, you sure get a nap quick, okay? That's not my goal, okay? So, but the goal is not to be an entertainer. Every preacher faces pressure to conform to criticisms and opinions. Don't give in to either the desire of your flesh or the pressure of this world to please people and gain a personal following. That's something that, that uh, my flesh wants, something that your flesh wants. We want to be liked. Because why? We'll find that, our, that a personal following is empty. And here's the reality for every pastor and even for every teacher, if you've been gifted to be a teacher, you have a higher calling than being an entertainer. You have a higher calling than gaining a personal following. You and I have a higher calling than just hearing people say, I love you. You're an awesome teacher. You're my favorite teacher in the whole wide world. That isn't the goal, okay, for teachers. It's not. Truth is, we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he's, we're going to give an account to him for what we did with the gift that he gave us, that he gave us, and the calling that he, he gave us in our lives, and what we did with his word in the lives of his people. We're going to give an account to him. So, God's children need to be taught the word of God. Look over to 2 Timothy, would you? Chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It looks like we have a lot to go, but we really don't. It's going to move along here pretty quick the rest of the way. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. If you look back to chapter 2 and verse number 7, you remember what Paul told Timothy in verse 7. He said, Consider, Timothy, what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So he told Timothy, I want you to be a learner. I want you to be taught by me, Paul told Timothy. And then down in verse 15 of chapter 2, he told Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then you're in chapter 3. Look down to verse number 16 and 17. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, truly furnished, like a house, an apartment that's completely furnished, has everything it needs unto all good works. Pastors, is that not what we want for this congregation? Do we, want, don't we, do we not want every single member of this assembly to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, completely equipped to do whatever it is that God leads them to do? And the how was given in verse 16. The scripture the, given by inspiration of God that's profitable for right teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that the congregation, individual disciples will know how to live in a way that's pleasing to God. 
So moms will know how to be the moms that God wants them to be and daddies will know how to be the daddies that God wants them to be and that will know how to be the soul winners that God would have us to be. Whatever else from there, parents. So it's the word of God. Look over to chapter 4. You're still in 2 Timothy chapter or 3. Look over to chapter 4 and verse 2. And look at verse 1. He says, I charge thee <laughs> to Timothy. Therefore, before God, Paul says to Timothy, before God, I am commanding this of you, Timothy, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says in verse 2, preach the word, proclaim the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Preach it when, you, when it's popular and people want to hear it, and when it is unpopular and people don't want anything to do with it. Reprove, that means correct. Rebuke, that means admonish. Exhort has the idea of encourage. Exhort comes from that Greek word parakaleo. Remember how the Holy Spirit's called our paraclete. He's our encourager. He's our encourager. Well, a pastor is supposed to encourage. A pastor ought to be an encourager. And he says, I want you to preach God's word with all long suffering and all doctrine. And why? He tells us in verse 3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll heap to themselves people who are teaching them what they want to hear. And so he says, before Jesus Christ and God Almighty, I command you to preach and teach the word of God to this people. That's a, that's a heavy thing. In Matthew 4 and verse 4, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And why again? Why again should we, should we preach the word? Why again, teachers, should you teach the word of God? Why should we resist uh, shaving off a little bit, um, stopping short a little bit from teaching the whole council? So that the body of believers will be fully equipped so that they can live lives that are pleasing to God and that they'll know what is right, have a conscience built up in, that, in them what is right, that they will do what is right and therefore bring glory and honor to God. And, and those of you who are, are fellow laborers with me as teachers and pastors and teachers of all different ages, can I thank you for the work that you put in that you often are not thanked for? I thank you publicly for it, and can I encourage you and ask you for your help and your dedication to live up to the calling and the gifting that God has given to you and labor in the Word of God, because what you're laboring in is not just temporal, it's, it's eternal. It's a part of this miracle that God is doing here. And I need you to be faithful, and this church needs you to be faithful. I believe it's in Psalm 19, verse number 7. He says of the law of the Lord, the word of God, he says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Teachers, you and I have an opportunity. And again, not just those of us who have the title of a teacher, but those of us who have been taught can teach. 
those of us who have been taught can teach. You say, Pastor Seth, there's a lot about the Bible I don't know. Join the club. But you know what? You've been taught a lot. You know, you know quite a bit. You might know more than you think. Don't teach what you don't know. Please don't do that. But what you know, what the Bible says, you ought to speak it. You ought to teach it. It's a part of the Great Commission. Take it with you out into the workplace. Take it with you out into the highways and byways. Compel them to come in. Teach, teach, speak the truth. And you know what, what you don't know? Ask somebody who does. I do that. I do that. I'll, I'll call somebody up or, or I'll go to somebody within this congregation who's wise, who's been saved longer than I have, who may have a, what I, I think may have a better understanding of portions of the Word of God, certain areas, than I do, and I'll call them up and I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think that means? Ah. Ah, good. Now listen. I'll listen. And I'll be praying, Spirit of God, would you lead me and help me, lead me into truth? I'll go to a book. I'll read a book. I'll read a commentary about it. And I'll go, wow, that guy's way off base. I'll read another one and say, aha, that's the truth. That's a good way to put that. I'd never thought of it that way. I'm just trying to learn. I'm just trying to be a good disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why, why should we teach the word? It produces faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's move along. Number five, I want to look at what discipleship is not. What discipleship is not. And everyone in the ministry of Trinity Baptist Church ought to know this. You ought to know what discipleship is not. Okay, here we go. We're going to shoot through them. Letter A, discipleship is not a program. Now, am I against programs? Yes or no? No, I'm not against them. But discipleship is not a program. Okay, it's not a program. We ought to have good organization. We can have accountability cards. We can have teachers who have been approved. We can have training sessions. The program is never, never greater than the purpose. Programs come and go, but the purpose remains the same. And what's the purpose? The purpose is discipleship. Letter, letter B, discipleship is not a curriculum. Discipleship is not a curriculum. When a learner has completed the curriculum, have they been discipled? Yes or no? When a disciple has completed the curriculum, have they been discipled? Are they fully and completely discipled? Have they arrived? No. No, they haven't. Now, they've completed the curriculum, right? They've completed the curriculum, but they've not been fully discipled. When am I going to be done being discipled? When I'm, in, when I'm with the Lord, that'll be that. But as long as I'm on this earth, my heart's beating and my lungs are pumping, I'm still learning and fallen. I haven't arrived. I ought to be learning. So we, 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 and we do. We utilize discipleship tools. We utilize some curriculum like changed his, into his image. It's, uh, excellent journey. We've used that. Continue daily in the word, the exchange. We've, we use some of these curriculums. That's fine. It'd be great. I think it'd be a dream if we didn't have to use any of those sort of things. Just this. I'm not opposed to tools, but discipleship is not a curriculum. None of those things that I just named, while those are good, none of those are inspired. None of them are without error. This is. This is the Word of God. 
do your, do your children or grandchildren ever see you with God's word? Do they ever see you with it? I'm not saying to use it like a prop. It's not a prop. Do they ever see you with it? Do they ever see it out on your desk or on your kitchen table? Do they ever see you carry it anymore? When I'm studying during the week, I use my computer. I print out, I put together things. I have different studies. I'll compile different things. I use my computer a lot. I have a couple different uh, software programs I use for studying. This will normally be sitting just off the side of my computer. But oftentimes I'm doing a search. I'm clicking here, clicking there. I'm accessing parts of the Bible here or there. I'll cut or paste this or that. And I'll do a little study there on, my, on the software. Great tools to use. I don't have to get out the big old Strong's Concordance. It's all right there. I just run my little scroll button thing or pointer over it, and it whoosh, out comes a definition. I can see it. Move right on. It's not what I was looking for. Those are all great tools, but you know what? This is the, this is the Bible. My computer's a computer. It, it has the Bible on it. It's great. I'm happy for it. I, I'm glad for it. I really do. I'm glad to, to use it. My phone has the Bible on it. My phone can read the Bible out loud. George, your phone can read the Bible out loud. We know that. You know, these are great tools, aren't they? But I can sit on the couch at home and, and I can check ESPN and Fox News or whatever else and on my phone. I can text. I could be reading my Bible. It's my phone. Don't use it as a prop, but I think, it'd be, I think we'd lose something if we never touch this again. Use wisdom. Think about it, okay? So it's more than a curriculum. John 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. We ought to be continuing in God's word. It never ends. Let her see. Let her see. Keep pushing it, and it something's not happening. Did it come? Hey, boy, they're flying in now. Let her see. All right. A discussion group. Discipleship is not a discussion group. And by the way, teachers, if there's not a teacher in the room and there's not a learner in the room, it's not discipleship. Now, that's really overly simple, but you ought to think it through. It's not discipleship. Your Sunday school class, discipleship ought to be happening there. But, you know, for that to happen, it requires somebody who has been taught to be teaching others and and those sitting in the room to to be learning from the teacher. That requires all those parts. Discipleship is not a discussion group. We don't get together. I haven't prepared anything. You haven't prepared anything. Let's just open up the Bible, read something, and say, hey, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? What do I think? What do I think? That's not discipleship. That's a discussion group. And uh, we might come to the truth, <laughs> and we might not, in a discussion group, okay? So there needs to be teaching that's taking place. Letter D, discipleship is not a vow. It's not a vow. Some religions teach people to take vows of discipleship. We don't do that. Uh, discipleship is not something a person completes. It's not something that a person completes. Uh, discipleship really is until death, okay, until you're with the Lord. 
could say this until life, really. Number six, we'll move through these rapidly. And everybody in our church ought to know this too. Discipleship is teaching another believer to become Christ-like. Discipleship is teaching another believer to, to become Christ-like. That's what it is. Whether it be Beth and Brian, who have not been saved as long, Brian has not been saved as long, or, or uh, Andy and Paula May, who have been saved a long time, or my mom and dad, Scott and Kelly, uh, Mr. Uh, Pastor and Mrs. Scott, Chris and Leah, right? I can go around this room. Robert, Kathy, right? I can go around this room. You can name people. And, and some people, some of you have read through the Bible multiple times. Others of you never have. Some of you have been saved a lot of years. You've heard a lot of sermons. Others of you haven't. But it doesn't matter, okay? Um, discipleship is teaching another believer to become Christ-like. Philippians chapter 4, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We ought to be learning this. We ought to be growing in this. Letter B. Discipleship is a process of sanctification. Discipleship is a process of sanctification. I already told you, be patient, okay? Be patient with one another, please. And by the way, Trinity, you have a wonderful reputation for that. Don't ever lose that. Be patient with one another. You know, I, I even pray that it would go out further than just within, with, between us as individuals, as church members. I, I pray that it would in, start to infect our homes and our marriages, that we'd be patient with one another in our marriages more than we are. Be patient with one another. Uh, discipleship is a process. It doesn't happen like that. Someone doesn't get saved, and all of a sudden, they're like Christ in the flesh all over again. Perfect. No, that happened one time, and now it's us. And we're not alone. I'm not making excuses, but we ought to be patient with one another. Okay. Uh, John chapter 17 and verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify means to set apart for a special purpose. Letter C, letter C. And I, I gave you some scripture here, and some I'm, I'm just mentioning but let her see edifying. Discipleship is edifying or building up the saints and equipping them to serve God. We're not going to turn there, Ephesians 4, but that's what's happening there. That's discipleship, edifying the saints, equipping them to serve God. Letter D, discipleship is individual and corporate. Discipleship is individual and corporate. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Paul, or, or Peter's saying this, he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not because you have to, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You know, the other day when I was preaching, sometimes preachers think about things while they're preaching, think about other things, but I couldn't help, and I hope I'll never mention my 40th birthday ever again, so this might be the last time. But as I was standing here, I looked down. I think it was Gavin, I think, was sitting here. We had a couple other young boys sitting here tonight. I couldn't help but think of however many years ago it was. Pastor Saunders turned 40 years old. It was in this building, if my memory is correct. I remember the church had done some fun things for him and kind of made fun of him a little bit, you know, and joked about him getting old at 40 and all that kind of stuff, which we now know isn't true. 40 is not old. But, but then we thought it was. And anyway... 
So I was just a little fella. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember I went out, and he came out in the foyer area, and I went up to him, and I said, so how does it feel to be 40 now over the hill or something like that? And I'll never forget, he gave me that Pastor Saunders look, and it was just kind of like, are you talking to me, you know, kind of thing. And I kind of melted and ran off somewhere, you know. But who would have thought that many years ago when a little, little fella, I don't know, 11, however old I was, went up to his pastor and was teasing about being over the, over the hill, who would have thought that I would have been the pastor someday? And, it, and that all went through my mind while I was preaching here, standing over here, and I was looking at these guys, and I thought, I wonder which one of these guys might be the one who's pastoring Trinity Baptist Church someday. And I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But we ought to think that way. We ought to think that way. Letter D, it's individual and corporate. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's individual. It's one-on-one. We've done well emphasizing that at Trinity, but we've not done well, I don't think, emphasizing that it's corporate. Don't ever lose sight of that. Oh, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself, aren't I? All right. It's similar to parenting, letter E. Did, did I give you that one? There it is. All right. Thank you, Mr. Chapman. Um, it's similar to parenting. So let's conclude. Every one of, every one of us here is leading in some way. Um, every one of us here is teaching others in some way. And to, large, to a large degree, every church, I think, takes on the personality of their pastor. And I've seen that over and over again when I traveled in evangelism especially. If it was a kind church, they almost always had a kind pastor. If they were a giving church, they had a giving pastor. If they were a hum- humble church, they had a humble pastor. Proud church, proud pastor. Judgmental church, judgmental pastor. Critical church, critical pastor. Loving, merciful, you get the idea. Um, so here's the thing. Since we all have influence, we all have some element of leadership, though, let's lead the church in making disciples. And that's one of your blanks there. Lead the church in making disciples. So I've, I've talked to you, I've talked to you about what it is, what the Bible says it is. You're going to have to be a learner. You can't say, well, I've arrived. I already have my doctrinal statement worked out. You may well have your black and white doctrinal statement worked out. But you have not learned at all, neither have I. So lead by that example. Keep learning, keep hungering, keep thirsting after the word of God and speak it and teach it to others. You know, some of us might say, you know, Seth, we're just so inward focused here at Trinity. You know, we're just so inward focused and we need to get out there and we need to win some souls. And we're not just, Seth, I just don't think we should be sitting around and we need to, we need to accomplish the Great Commission. And my question would be to this, is it, is it, is it, I'll make, I'll make, it's in, a, in your outline. It is impossible to accomplish the Great Commission without making disciples. It's possible to knock on doors and not accomplish the Great Commission, is what I'm saying. It's possible to, it's possible to have programs, well-organized, well-oiled, and not accomplish the Great Commission. Now, God help us not to be negligent in going. My emphasis here has been on discipleship. Teach the believer you have. Are you teaching your wife? Parents, are you teaching your children? Are you teaching one another? 
And I ask the question, why would God entrust more believers into the care of a church that is not currently making disciples of the believers they already have? And I dare say he won't. Don't look at the congregation of disciples as a means to an end. Don't look at the congregation as a means to ministering or outreach. Look at the congregation of believers as the ministry. Tend the flock. Mr. Gosnell, I, I, I saw you earlier here tonight, but do you remember uh, when the church was questioning me before there was a vote, and uh, the church asked me what my goal was as a pastor. If I were to become the pastor, what my, goals would be, my goal would be, and I mentioned feeding the flock. And uh, you actually stood and read the passage that I read earlier tonight that Peter penned down about feeding the flock, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for money, but of a, a ready mind. You know what? My goal, my vision hasn't changed. My goal, my ultimate goal is to equip the saints by the teaching and preaching of the word of God so that you can be right with God and strong and healthy and vibrant in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with his spirit, so that you, he can use you to accomplish all that he wants you to accomplish in your life, in your marriage, in your children, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in different programs or ministries, whatever God may lead you to do. That's my goal. But at the core of it all is God's program. And it is discipleship. It is discipleship. Look at the end of your handout. I'm going to run through this real quick. You will not be able to make disciples of Jesus Christ if you are not a disciple, if you're not a learner. Characteristics of a disciple, what are they? Continuing in God's word, and this I've given you some scripture here. It'd be a great personal study for you. Continuing in God's word, asking God how to pray, loving Christ supremely, forsaking possessions, willingly sacrificing and suffering, sacrificially loving fellow believers, praying for more disciples, and relying completely upon Jesus Christ. And I think this is, you can pull this one up, Mr. Chapman. God's salvation cost us nothing but a disciple of Christ, but being a disciple of Christ will cost you everything. To be saved, it costs us nothing. But to be a follower, to be a learner, to be a disciple of Jesus will cost you everything. So are you a disciple? Because you can't make disciples if you aren't a disciple. Some of us here, and I speak to parents with children in the home, some of us here so badly want our children to follow God and to love God with their whole heart. We cannot expect our children to love God and to follow God and to know God if we ourselves, to be a disciple of Jesus if we ourselves are not. It's going to cost you something. And I challenge you, and I, I meant to take the time to look up these passages of Scripture I, I challenge you to read up, look up every one of these passages of Scripture and read about and even study 
what those passages mean about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this church. Lord, I do pray that you, you protect them this week. Protect us as we go out from this place. Bind the power of the evil one. Lord, give us victory over temptation in this wicked, godless flesh of ours. Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk in your spirit. Encourage our hearts where we're discouraged. Father, give us good success. And Lord, help us, I pray. I think you've planted a seed about discipleship. Lord, I pray that you'd water this and that you'd grow it by your Holy Spirit and by your word in us. Father, I long for us as a congregation to hear well done. I I long for us to be good servants of yours, to hunger for what you hunger for and long for what you long for. When I think of the Great Commission and going and giving the gospel, but also, Father, of making disciples, thank you for the miracle that is represented in this room tonight. I praise your name for it. Help us to be good stewards, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.